0: What's up everybody and welcome back to another episode of the professional athlete podcast as always i'm your host ken gunter and today you know i wouldn't lie to you folks i say this a lot but i wouldn't lie to you we have another great one Uh, we are joined by captain chris walsh now before i get rolling on his intro i've got to say this is one of the most impressive resumes that i've probably ever come across Uh, chris is a special tactics officer with the 24th Air Force Special Operations Wing. He is a current member of their World Class Athletes Program, which prior to today's show, I didn't know anything about. And it's it's really cool, so make sure to listen up uh, and learn more about that. Uh, because he's also a member of Team USA Bobsled, and he's an Olympic hopeful for the 2022 Winter Olympics in Beijing. So the fact that he's operating as a captain in special operations and... <laughs> Uh, competing as a world-class athlete in itself is just incredible. But if either of those things weren't enough to get you to stick around, I also found out during this episode uh, that in his spare time, which I doubt he has much of, Chris also races cars. Uh, And he just wrapped up this summer doing multiple endurance road races. And when I say endurance, I'm talking like 14 hours plus at a really high level. So it's just, it's just silly quite frankly, the things that he's doing. We had a great conversation. He was a pleasure to talk to. In addition to all those incredible things he's doing, he's also a husband and a father. Uh, so I want to dig in a little bit and understand, you know, how is he managing to do all these things? We got some really great takeaways uh, and things that I, I think you're going to enjoy listening to. So, you know, if you're enjoying the show and you haven't already, I know I ask this every week, but come on, folks, it matters. Okay. Leave a review or rate in iTunes. We would certainly appreciate it. Uh, or wherever else you're listening, make sure to subscribe uh, and follow. That way, you get these shows on your phone every week, and you don't miss a beat. Um, what else? Follow us at Instagram at the underscore professional athlete. We've talked a little bit about on the show, and there hopefully will be some more substantial updates to come. Uh, but I try and take a lot of the things that we get from the guests on the show, incorporate them into my own life, my own training. Uh, One of the ways that that's kind of come to bear is uh, I just attempted to break a world record in pull-ups. So unofficially I did it, uh, but that doesn't mean a whole lot until it's confirmed. So more to come on that, uh, but you can follow us along there. And if this is the first time listening, make sure to stick around for the end of the show where I run it by my wife, Sonia Gunter. And uh, we recap some of those key takeaways that I alluded to moments earlier. So I uh, hope you're enjoying the show. Man, this was another good one. And I, I think I think you're really gonna get a kick out of it. So without further ado, let's welcome Captain Chris Walsh to the show. Here we go.
1: I gotta get up. I got too much to do. Yeah, I gotta get going. I gotta talk.
0: To Awesome, Chris, man. Well, thank you for joining the show. Really uh, excited to have you on this one.
2: I appreciate you having me. I'm excited to
0: chat. Yeah. So uh, for people listening, uh, Alex Harrison, I think his episode was number 23. It always amazes me, my ability to forget when people were actually on the show. But uh, Alex reached out to me right after and was like, hey, I, I've got someone that you have to have on the show. you got to talk to Chris Walsh. So uh, you know, that's, that's how you ended up here today. And I'm, I'm pumped to, uh, hear a little bit about your story.
2: Yeah. Uh, I mean, obviously I know Alex really well cause he, he's been coaching me for a while now with strength conditioning, super sharp guy. Yeah. I highly respect his opinion. So, uh, I've just stayed in touch with him just cause we became pretty good friends through that relationship, which is, which is awesome. It makes, it makes the coach athlete relationship we're pretty close in age so it's it's weird to be like coach athlete scenario but right uh yeah that's how i know him um, and
0: and you guys did you guys actually overlap on the bobsled team
2: so it like i got started the year of 2018 which is like when the games were happening so that was the last season okay. not i think he ended up getting injured that season was so what ended up making him miss the games um like a broken foot that he just couldn't come back from right uh so and he lived, like I was stationed up in Washington in the military. And he, oh, I, no kidding. I saw him on Instagram, like doing a box jump. And I, I was like, this guy's on the bobsled team. I was like, oh, he's like an hour from me. I should reach out to him. And yeah. And so from there, I just kind of grew and, and went out to his facility and, and talked to him. And he was willing to, to start coaching me and, and mentoring me in the sport, which was great. But we never actually competed at the same time. So,
0: ah, uh, okay. And where were you stationed in Washington?
2: Uh, out in Tacoma, uh, oh, joint, yeah. joint Base Lewis McCord. So,
0: Okay. Yep. I know. it Well, too funny. So people listening are probably like this guy's just stacking the deck with people from Washington and that's really not my intention. I just, I had no idea that all these people coming on have, uh, have that in their background. But, uh, so, okay. So you're, you're on Bob said we could talk about that a lot. Um, but what I find to be so interesting is that you're doing that while still actively being in the air force.
2: Yeah. So, um, I've been in the Air Force for about 10, uh, I guess almost 11 years now. Hmm. And uh I you know, I didn't get involved in bobsled till I don't know, my ninth and a half year, I would say. Oh uh,
0: man. So how how old were you when you got into bobsled?
2: I started when I was I uh, would say 30, I would say 31, yeah. So Oh, no kidding. Yeah, so late late into the sport. That's not uncommon. There are a lot of guys that come in their late 20s, early 30s. Um, yeah. Just cuz it's kind of a second, third sport pursuit for people and it's so niche that people are, you don't find it until kind of a weird stage of your life. That's yeah. how it works for me. and It's kind yeah. of the same for others. So, awesome. um, but yeah, so I, I did, uh, I, I was in the Air Force and started out as like an aircraft maintenance officer. Um, but then after a couple of years, I was really passionate about getting into special operations. So I, I went through our assessment selection process in the Air Force to join Air Force now known as Air Force Special Warfare. Hmm. Um, most people would know it as like combat control or special tactics. Um, and so went through that pipeline. It took a couple of years to get through all that process. And I've been doing that since until like 2000, last September. Yeah, September of 19, I finally got into Air Force has an athlete program for people pursuing Olympic sports. Oh, wow. Um, so they let you go full-time and start to just – focus on preparation for that, which is huge. Cause when I was doing both like the job and, and trying to do bobsled, that was, you know, that's tough. It's tough to kind of be successful yeah. in two realms like that. So,
0: well, and, and, uh, not just like in the military, but in special forces.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was, let's see, I deployed in the middle of like, well, in between seasons one time. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so I was still doing some training objectives, like jumping and diving and doing all the stuff that the job requires. Um, not necessarily safe when you're trying to take care of your body for a sport that, you know, right. cause it's always a risk. You could break your leg when, you know, on any jump, even if you do everything right. So it's just, uh, yeah, I finally got out of that so I could focus solely on the sport and, and see, see if I can make the games. So.
0: Oh, right on. And for people who don't know, and I, I count myself in that camp, um, you know, how does special forces in the air force differ from other, uh, special forces within like the military?
2: Yeah, so the the, uh, the umbrella term, I'm not I'm not trying to be like you know police on on terminology, but okay, thank you. Special I'm, forces I'm... would be very specific. That's an army only unit. Oh. So army green berets, known as special forces. I don't expect okay. anyone to know this, but no, this is important. O- overarching, have... <laughs> it's just special operations, which includes special like operations. Navy SEALs, includes MARSOC or the Marine Corps uh, uh, MARSOC units, um, and us. So yeah. Um, I kind of got off topic, but what we do for that uh, subject or for what we do in that realm is we are usually attached to Navy SEAL teams and Army Special Forces teams, and we provide kind of an air to ground integration piece, which can range from air traffic control. All the guys that I go through with are air traffic controllers and I am as well. And then, or joint terminal attack control, which allows you to call in airstrikes in close proximity to, to friendly forces. That's one aspect of special warfare. Then we also have like the rescue side with our pararescue men Hmm. who do, um, kind of technical rescue. They can do, extrication where they cut guys out of cars or lift buildings, all sorts of wazoo stuff, you know, high angle rescue. So it's kind of a, a force multiplier, I guess is the best way to describe it, where we, okay. we add capabilities to those types of teams. So I threw a bunch of jargon at you, but yeah, that's.
0: No, I got, it. well, uh, and I, I appreciate you uh, keeping me honest on the special operation. No,
2: that's good. It's all good.
0: Uh, well, very cool. So, how, how how many years now? Or I guess now you're in the what is it? The world class athlete program, Correct, right? Yeah. How how long were you in uh, the special operations leading up to that? Um, let's see. I would have been like seven years. I was doing that. Oh wow. So, yeah. Dang. Um. So, okay. So now I've I've got a bunch of questions. So I'm yeah. just gonna start rattling it's, oh, it's all good. So okay. So you're in special operations, right? And like you said, bobsled is a sport folks typically kind of, it's either like their second or third endeavor. Or they find it an interesting point in their life. Like mm. h- how did you get exposed to the sport of bobsled?
2: So I remember watching the Olympics and I want to say it was, I think I remember seeing it like 2010, like way mm. back then. Like I was like, Oh, the, uh, bobsled that's pretty cool. I'd be interested in, to know more about that. Yeah, uh, didn't pursue it at the time, I, even though I was young and spry and probably should have. Um, I had things I wanted to do in the military, and so I was very like hard set to accomplish those goals. Um, and then finally, after going through that, doing what I wanted in special operations was well, as much as I was able to do at that point. I was like, I got to go for it. I'm not getting any younger, you know. Sports is they have shelf lives, so yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So I was like, all right, I'm going to just go do the. They do open combine. so I just went out and did the combine and went through their process and got to do some competitions the year of the olympics in one of the lower level circuits yeah um so they call that north america's cup so i did a couple of two-man races there okay that went, that went all right and yeah so then from there i just continued through they do like the team trial process every year mm-hmm. um so i've been in the organization with them since then but you never really know like if you're going to make the olympics that all depends on that year of the games like everything leading up to it's important of the yeah. four-year quad but that that Olympic year is going to depend on a lot of factors, like where are you ranked that season among the push athletes and how many sleds did we as a nation get qualified for the Olympic Games? Because we could get as low as one, as high as three. That's always oh, really? kind of changing. So that, vary, that varies the amount of athletes that get a chance to go um, greatly. So.
0: so does that uh, I've had – we've had a couple Olympians on. So is it just similar to any other qualifying event like if like how how many teams does America typically field in like the the qualifier?
2: So it's based off of how you do that season in the International Bobsled and Skeleton Federation's like World oh. Cup season. Um, okay. So it's a, it's really like a points amalgamation of a different few different tours, how your sleds are ranked throughout the world and then that mm. They have a cutoff line. Certain nations right now are allowed to get up to three. That we're one of them. Okay. Um That that rule may change, so I don't know if we're going to have the opportunity to put three sleds. We did in the last Olympic games. Uh, obviously, we want that because well, I guess that yeah, gets more, more push athletes in. But um, yeah, so that's how it works. It's all based on how you rank in the season. So it's, it's it. paramount that you do really well as a team through the whole bobsled season before the Olympics happen. So
0: yeah. Huh? How many? How many push athletes? Are there in like the Team USA program at any given um, point?
2: Including the, the Devo program, like the development level, you probably have somewhere between, yeah, like 25, somewhere up around 25, a little, maybe a little more.
0: So um, there's a lot of guys gunning, gunning yeah, for the like four exactly. to 12 spots.
2: Correct, yeah. So oh, okay. it can be – yeah, yeah it's, it's a weird sport because it's, it's a team sport in a lot of ways, but mm-hmm. – Obviously, you're competing, and you live and die by your push times as a team. But you also are competing for that spot against your teammates all the time. So yeah, you're never really safe, which is, I think, is is in some ways positive. It keeps you honest. You know, no one ever can just kind of sit back and rest because right. every time you step up to push, um, if you do something wrong, you don't know. That could be, you could get moved off to another crew, or you know, you don't know what can
0: happen. So um, yeah. So how how are you measured? as an individual athlete within the bobsled organization. So you said it, it depends on your push times. So are you guys periodically, um, I mean, I guess, you know, being your, your times are being tested in uh, in an well, isolated fashion.
2: Um, so we do, we do exactly what you just said, the isolated testing or individual testing at the beginning okay. of every year. And then based on, we call it individual push championships. And based on mm. how that goes, is going to see like what drivers want you and on these crews and what combinations they want to see with other athletes. Um, it really sets the stage for your whole season. So if if you do okay. poorly at the very beginning of the first event, like it is very tough mountain to climb back onto the top three U.S. sleds. So
0: oh, wow. So and then how are are the sleds? Is it pretty intuitive the way that they're ranked one, two, three? Like the three fastest pushers go with the top driver in sled one, or. Is it kind of uh is there more strategy to kind of how they do that throughout the year?
2: Yeah, it's, you, you, like the science would point to like times, lowest times equals the A plus B equals C type of scenario, but it's not always um that way. Typically sometimes, yeah. Sometimes it's the top three pushers are, are grouped up, but there is a chemistry aspect of the sport. So hmm. um some crews, even though they have the fastest three dudes in the US at the time in Bobsled, may not be the best crew. It's all up to how they work with that driver, how that those guys work individually together, and can they can they do the different positions? You know, some guys just can't load from a certain side and that might be the side they push fastest from. So uh,
0: okay. it, it's
2: not it's not quite an exact science in that like the hundred meters, like if you run it in nine nine and you're faster than the guy that's 10.0, like you win. It's not, right, it's not right, quite right. that that clean. And then the the sled ranking is based on driver performance. So okay. If the driver if he's driving really well that season, you know, you guys could not push that great, but he's just on rails and doesn't have any makes any mistakes. So mm-hmm. you just you finish well. So you could have a higher ranking. So there's there's a little bit more to it. It's not just like a straightforward all athletic based
0: uh yeah. competition, which is cool. Yeah, it's like you can't just go solely off the, the results of the combat. Correct. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, have you guys had an opportunity to get in the sled much this year, with everything that's going on between COVID and yeah. shutdowns and travel restrictions?
2: Yeah, normally we would have had a couple camps up at the summer, up up at the training center. We go to Lake Placid normally; that's where yeah. all the bobsled stuff is. Um, so normally, guys would be up there training together and working on combinations for guys, especially dudes who were there the last couple seasons. We already mm-hmm. have an idea of kind of where everyone's at. Um, but that hasn't been happening. Like the training centers are really locked down and restrictive on how you can get into them. Um, and then the season is very up in the air. I'm not quite sure. Right now they're planning on going forward starting in September with the regular season, but they're going to make another decision in September based on you know where the world is at and is COVID in recession or or you know we don't know. So yeah, I, I'm. I don't know where, I don't even know where to guess. I would say, I think October is the earliest we'll see it happen, but, um, it's purely speculation.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, we heard it here. Chris said October. Uh, so, I mean, so, so what do you, what does your training setup look like right now? Um, you know, are you sticking to, and I know you said you're working with Alex, Yep. Uh, which I'm sure he's he's putting together great programming for you. Is it a lot of Olympic style lifting? Um, are you doing things that are specific to the bobsled? Yeah. And pushing? Yeah, yeah
2: I would say uh I'm actually in like just got through injury recovery, so I'm just finally wrapped oh, okay. it back up, thankfully. But uh uh yeah, the t- training typically is like squats, sprints, Olympic lifts, yeah, and then plyometrics and just things it's, I would say it's like a mashing of track and field with football without really the need for any type of conditioning. Mm-hmm. Um, cause you don't, I mean, you're doing one rep <laughs> for 40 uh, meters, so you don't have to have a lot like, of go- <laughs> that
0: sounds like heaven.
2: <laughs> yeah. <it's>, <laughs> <laughs> for people who don't like cardio, it's like the best sport in the world. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. So that's, that's really what it is, is, is a, is a variation of all those exercises. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Um, yeah, and then, what,
0: what was the injury? Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to. Oh uh, yeah,
2: no, it, uh, yeah, and we do sled. I do a bunch of sled pushing in there. Oh, okay. But it's very hard to replicate a bobsled without having like a bobsled or push track. Like, it's just not easy to 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 do. So.
0: Yeah, it's kind of what I was wondering. Like, I, you know, I imagine there, there's all sorts of sleds you could get and yeah. different apparatus. Um, but I feel like I don't know how you replicate sprinting on the ice. Yeah, it requires three other men to. (laughs)
2: You you know, like that's why it's so critical that we get some time in the summer to work together because we have a a dry land push track. Oh. Uh, We're actually getting an indoor. They call it an ice house, so it's like a, it's just a push area that's on ice to let us do all the reps without having to, actually go down the hill on a bobsled. So. Oh, cool. You can do it in the summer because it it can stay. It's all enclosed when the track is not open in the summer. So that's a new thing we're getting added uh that should be built this year which is great that's huge for us um but yeah that's very hard to do in the off season without being at the training
0: center so yeah yeah Yeah. um so you know one of the things that i'm just super interested to understand is like how so i don't i don't think we talked about this while we were recording but like you're married two kids Mm. uh two young kids so anyone who has kids knows that that's a little bit more challenging (laughs) Yes. Um, like how, how were you balancing all three of those kind of critical responsibilities at one time?
2: Um, looking back at it before I got into WCAP, I honestly do not know how it worked. <laughs> um, cause my wife also works full time. Like she works oh, for, no for Boeing as a, in their finance department. And so she's pretty, pretty involved there and has a, has a, a pretty important role. So yeah, when we were in Washington, like at one point, our squadron had deployed uh i was on g series orders which meant i was like the um the commander of the unit okay. uh and we had the kids so i mean m- mornings were like 5 a.m we're up getting the kids ready to take them to daycare i go to date i go drop them off at daycare she goes north to seattle to work at Boeing. right I get, I get to work at like seven i train from seven to nine thirty if i'm lucky and then i go to work all day and then pick yeah. them up on the way home it was very jam packed days. It was not sustainable, but uh, yeah, th- I, I do it mainly because you know, right especially now. Karen is, if she wasn't who she was and able to, you know, be an awesome mom and still maintain a professional career, I don't, I don't know if it'd be possible because there is a lot of travel with bobsled. So when I leave for the seasons, she's she's solo at home dealing with the yeah. t- two youngins. Um, so,
0: so you know, one of the things that I think people struggle with is feeling that there's not enough time in the day you know what i mean and then and then to hear someone like yourself who's fitting in training potentially at you know well already at a world-class level but potentially an olympic level right and then something as demanding as oh don't let me mess it up again i was gonna say special forces special operations come on yeah (laughs) within the air force and then and then raising kids i mean like you know is there anything that you have kind of done maybe it's like personal habits scheduling um, routine that that you know understanding you probably felt like you were behind the eight ball yeah Um, but was there was there anything that you can kind of point to is like you know what what made that sustainable uh to an extent was was x
2: yeah i think um the one thing i did was like man i cut out there was just no frivolous things, you know, yeah. if, it, if it didn't, if it didn't progress in a, a kind of one of my objectives or one of my goals or take care of the family, it was, it just wasn't, I just didn't have time for it. And so and, in some ways I was kind of freeing. Cause it was like, Hey, everything had a purpose. And, and though it was very busy. Um, I never felt like I was just wasting time, which is cool. Yeah. Uh, but it's hard. It's hard to get to that, to that, it's, yeah, I don't know. There were days I did it really well and there were days I didn't do it well and I just wanted to zone out. So the goal was always like, you know, put, a, put everything in priority order, like if get this family stuff knocked out. Then I can have some time to take care of the guys at work and take care of my job. Cause those dudes are counting on me to do certain things. Yeah. And then, and then I can worry about myself. Um, and so that's kind of, there's this book I read when I went through military training that I'm a huge fan of kind of try to live my life as philosophy. But it's called the mission the men and me and and kind of the concept is you have if you look at all problems and you you base them around those things, like, hey, is how does this relate to like what our mission is or what our mm-hmm. objectives are or what our goals are? Uh, that's your first priorities of things to do. And then the men or the family, I think, it, it doesn't have to be in this order exactly, but this is how the book is is written. Yeah. Um those are their next things, right? And then worry about yourself and your personal needs at the end. So I don't know. I think that is a really effective way of how I've managed things, um, or tried to. I, I can't say I've always done it right. No one does, but uh that's how I try to think about stuff. So
0: Yeah, what what was that book called?
2: It's called The Mission of Min to Men and Me. It's by a guy named uh, Pete Blaber. He was uh Delta force commander at one point. So he did the invasion of Iraq. So it's very fascinating book if you're just generally interested in leadership and stuff like that. So,
0: yeah, yeah, no, that, uh, that sounds great. And I'll actually, I'll make sure to, uh, include that in the show notes. So, you know, for you, I guess, what was it that uh, had you just kind of felt like from an athletic standpoint, there was kind of an itch that still just hadn't been scratched. Uh, yes. or, or was it okay? <laughs> that was
2: it. I mean, I just had always wanted to take athletics as far as I possibly could. And I was just like, Hey, can I, I thought I had the capacity to be at that level, you know, And yeah. I'm like, do I really? And let's go, like, I wasn't scared. One of the big things is like, I was never scared of failure. Like if I went up there mm. and it doesn't work out. And if I, if I don't make the 22 Olympics, you know, I'll at least know like when I'm done with it all, like, Hey, I gave everything I had and I saw exactly where I stacked up and i can rest my head at night and know i didn't back down because i was scared that it might not work out the way i wanted it to and so yeah. that was that was it like I, I really was a big athlete growing up and i was like hey i gotta see if i have what it takes to be at that level and so far i do but you know that's always that's always the question every day you go out there it's always the question do i have what it takes to be
0: here so yeah and had that uh you know it's funny like had you had any other aspirations? Like, had you not gotten into the sport of bobsled? Like, I know maybe here's even a good question. Like, were you keeping yourself athletically at a really high level, you know, throughout your twenties into your early thirties?
2: Yeah, I think, I mean, special operations demands a high level of physical fitness. It's a little different. It's not so power-based, sure. but like I was always doing that. I was usually trying to do like local CrossFit competitions, just things that were, just to make it all interesting but the job by itself is very demanding so so keeping myself prepared for that and trying to be the example for the guys that were on my team so I always tried to be the fittest that mm-hmm. just helped me keep a very solid base to build out of um and I had college athletics to fall back on too. like I played college sports and so that was you know it's not like it was all completely foreign to me when I decided to go back into you know sprinting and, and power sports
0: so yeah yeah I, I saw that so you you went to uh Valparaiso, correct? Correct. Yeah. Okay, cool. And you, you played football.
2: I did. Yeah. And, and ran track and field there. So
0: nice. What, what position
2: I started out as a, a safety and eventually worked myself into a wide receiver position. I, oh, I was, hey, there I we was go. decently good at catching things. So <laughs> they let me play slot. So <laughs>
0: <laughs> Give you a chance on the other side of the ball. Yeah. Um, oh, that's cool. And then, uh, so are you it's it's funny because when talking to Alex I was very surprised to hear that he did not consider himself to be someone who was particularly fast. Uh you know at yeah. least in terms of like a traditional event like a 100 meter dash. Yeah. Um you know for you I guess where wh- where do your strengths lie and kind of like how does that translate to what you're doing on the bobsled team?
2: Yeah, I w- I would probably concur with Alex. I think him and I are very <laughs> when he was competing, he was probably, we were probably very close in speed capability. Oh, ah, okay. Um, yeah. The thing about bobsled, though, is you're not just running. So you're pushing something heavy. So, um, I, I tend to be a decently strong person and yeah. decently powerful. So I think like a combination of those three, um, aspects helps me be somewhat successful in the sport there. Mm-hmm. Um, but by no means, if you were to put me line me up against every dude on the bobsled team, would I win the foot race? No, absolutely not. There's some guys who are just pure track dudes who are just very fast, but you know they may not squat as much. So there's there's like that's why the team always, like I said before, is there's a kind of a guys certain guys complement each other depending on yeah. the position that they're in. So
0: yeah, uh, it's just such an interesting sport. It's one of those ones that uh, I think like nationally. Most people don't pay a whole lot of attention to it, but no. when the Olympics roll around, yeah, it's like all of a sudden everyone's an expert.
2: Well, it's the it's the 400 meter dash of the uh, or the 400 relay of the Olympics, right? It's like the last thing. Four man bobsled is like how they finish out the winter games. So, I think it's exciting. Like four man bobsled is hands down is one of the most exciting things I think you can watch. Um, but sure. it's really hard if you don't have any concept of like what exactly like how good are these guys at what they're doing you know it's like Olympics in general like these niche sports that people don't pay attention to and then they see them only the best competing at that level you're like that nah, doesn't look too hard you yeah. know if you put Not like right. if you put like a four man group of guys that were like a local bar out there you'd be like <laughs> oh I see <laughs> this is a big difference so but yeah yeah I, I like it a lot I think it's I wish it had more um kind of fame than it does just for the sake of the sport because it doesn't doesn't get the support and funding like other sports do but um um, it is i think it's exciting but the winter olympics in general is just it's all the dangerous things that people are like we want to watch but we don't pay attention to yeah exactly
0: it's such a blast well and you know i'd be interested to understand too you know how how does this world-class athlete program work i actually wasn't aware of this prior to you coming on the show
2: yeah um so the army has a program too, oh, okay. uh, which I there's a there's a lot of details on how they how they work, but hmm. the the basic concept is I get to maintain my position in the military and my rank and my pay, and I get to I get some support from the air force to do traveling as needed, um, hmm. and just then I focus on competition. And then there's some requirements like hey, I've got to you know obviously maintain my grooming standards and like cut my hair and I can't I can't just go completely native but can't just um, be rocking the stash <laughs> yeah <laughs> down the hill but That's uh it's pretty cool that, that, and so the, in exchange the air force and the army get to say okay look we've got people that do amazing things not just amazing things that are um on the battlefield or doing humanitarian support or whatever else and and you know, the the underlying piece of it the the fine print, I suppose, is I owe time back to the military for being in the ah, program. So that's really where there's the fine print that people don't know. Ah, it's like, okay. oh, you get to do this cool thing, but I will have to continue to serve after it. I don't get to just be like, thanks, that was fun. I'm going to yeah. go now. Um, so there, there's that aspect of it.
0: So, I mean, I don't expect you to know this off the top of your head, but like, how, how many people are in this program? Like, are there, uh, Is there a sizable amount of folks who serve? Who are potential like Olympic level athletes?
2: Yes. I would. In the Air Force, it's pretty small. Air Force is like, I don't know, 30 guys, 30 guys and
0: gals. Oh, but there's 30. Yeah.
2: And the entire Air Force. So very, very small program. The Army, I think, has a couple hundred maybe. But Still small when you look at the big picture of how big the Army is. But um, yeah, it's, excuse me, it's a pretty small program. Um,
0: That's, see, and it's so interesting because, like you said, like being in special operations, I think most people probably assume that you're like in, you know, top physical shape, yeah. but the demands of what you're probably asked to do in special operations compared to something that's like, you know, you said like, so explosive and such like, yeah. you know, only a couple seconds worth of sprinting and pushing, like the demands are probably so different. Absolutely. Um, it's, it's really cool to hear that like, you've kind of been able to do both up to this point.
2: Yeah. um, I mean, luckily now, being in WCAP, I don't have those requirements levied on me the same way. But when I was doing both, like, for example, our fitness test for the special operations career field was a three-mile run, a minute of push-ups, four minutes of sit-ups, two minutes – two minutes of pushups, a minute of pull ups, four minutes of sit ups, and then a 1500 (laughs) meter surface swim. Right. And so, and I'm doing that staying, staying fit enough to do that. And then also run as fast as you can for 45 meters, um, at a world-class level. Those are very divergent low efforts. Um, so I needed to be able to break away from the other thing because, you know, it just, you, you can't, it's, the body wasn't designed to be at the top level of both of those types of um, right. spectrums. So
0: yeah, you need to be able to start specializing.
2: Yeah. I mean, CrossFit. Point. It'd be good. Like you can be a little bit of both and it's helpful for that sport, but it's it's just not, I couldn't be a good bobsledder and be a good special operator.
0: Well, and it's, it's interesting to me that you bring up CrossFit because kind of as, as I've talked to you and I've talked to Alex, um, you know, it sounds like neither of you have said like, no, dude, I can just flat out fly. And I'm super explo- You're both like, no, you know, I'm I'm pretty fast, but I'm really powerful. I'm really yeah. strong. Um, it kind of almost sounds like you have some of the same qualities that make some of these folks like elite at CrossFit.
2: Yeah, you know, it's funny because we actually have a guy on the team who was elite at CrossFit. Uh, oh. A guy, a guy named Blaine McConnell, uh, okay. sixth at the CrossFit Games in 2016. Oh wow. Um, yeah, so quite an athlete. The dude, I think he just cleaned 200 kilos while we were in canada um this past season so Jeez. like he's he's probably one of the uh, i would say he's an outlier i don't think most guys are like that but he he if you asked him right now could he do crossfit he would be like absolutely not really? <laughs> he's just like i'm not they're so different you can't you can't prepare like that and do that type of training and be as good as you want to be at bobsledding so
0: yeah oh. Man. So, you know, for you, uh, did you always anticipate to go into the service? Because you went to college, you played sports. Was it something that you always wanted? It was.
2: um, I actually grew up in uh, my, both my folks were in the military. I was born on a military base overseas. And so it was just something that I wanted to do. And then, you know, when I was in high school, I was very much shaped by September 11th. And I remember Mm -hmm. all that stuff happening. So I had kind of in my mind that I was going that route for at least a little while. Yeah. Um, and so I was anticipating separating from the military for a while, but then got into bobsled and WCAP is like the best way to do that. And oh, okay. still have a paycheck and support a family. So yeah. that, that kept me around for a little bit longer probably than I was anticipating. But it, it's it been positive. Like I'm not, no, uh, no complaints at all. So
0: Yeah. Have you? Uh, and I know you're you're laser focused on pop right now, and, and being a part of that program is enabling you to do that. Have you thought at all about what you would like to do afterwards? That's a great. Yeah. Uh, right. Right <laughs> now, like, I oh, come on, man. I know right to to I've got to go up. back
2: to. Uh, <laughs> I've got to go back to special operations. So yeah, um, that is something I will have to do afterwards uh, for sure. So there's at least a few years of that. Beyond that, you know, I I have not thought that far ahead i probably should but uh right now it's just i got enough in the in the five to ten meter area to worry about that yeah that's keeping me pretty busy
0: it's funny i I have a couple buddies who uh, are doing different things in athletics and they're like you know what man like I, i see you guys like you're building a life you have stability like maybe i just like hang it up and i'm like dude it's not it's not that sweet yeah. <laughs> like, stay as long as you can. <laughs> Never leave. Yeah, you know? exactly. Exactly. Uh, so, I've, something that I think people will probably be a little surprised to hear is that as we're talking right now, you are sitting in a race car simulator. Yes.
2: <laughs> I am, uh, I would say I'm a bit of a speed freak. Like, I have a super need for speed.
0: Uh, yeah. Can can you, can you tell people a little bit about, uh, well, your racing background would be really interesting, but can can you talk a little bit about what you've been doing recently with regards to the simulator and some of the things that kind of dovetailed off that?
2: Yeah. So the, uh, the simulator is really just a continuation of like my, my love of racing. So I was racing when I was in Washington, I raced super bikes, uh, at like in the Washington road racing association up there. Um, which was really cool. Did that for a few years, got injured. Decided I couldn't live with, I couldn't make that live with sports, so I, I gave that up. And in an effort to continue to scratch the itch of racing, I got into the sim thing um, through iRacing. It was actually an ex-teammate, a guy named Greg West, who oh, cool. kind of got me into it. He works for them now, um, and I just like was like, oh my god, this is definitely filling the need. Hmm. Um, got decently good at it. Like I do some of the pro esports series and I have some broadcasts that I've been on where I've raced against some some pretty high level guys and some actual factory drivers. So that's that's been pretty cool to like to what, do type that.
0: Of, what type what type of racing?
2: So I I usually race like uh Porsche cars. So um it's like GT style racing, like road courses and stuff like that. Like oh cool. Yeah. So and then I naturally like I do with anything I'm like this isn't enough I need to take it to the next level and so I did it I I got into a real car a couple weekends ago and did that 14 hour endurance race with champ car so
0: okay maybe maybe that's where we go next what <laughs> what does a 14 hour race entail and I guess where where did you do it
2: uh so Charlotte Motor Speedway um, okay. which is normally like a NASCAR track has a infield area that's a road course um oh, so
0: are you kidding
2: me yeah so the 14-hour race, you have a team of drivers, and you'll drive the same car. And you guys just – when you come in, I was driving about two hours at a time. I did two 2 stints, stints—that's what they call your time in the car. Um, and, yeah, so you do that. You switch out with drivers, and you come in for gas. And then there's some strategy involved. A lot of it is getting the car to the end, um, especially at my level. At the very high level, it's all about pace. Mm. But, uh, yeah, I mean – purely based on my time in the sim i was able to go out there my first time and set the fastest lap on the team and second fastest in our class really that that was kind of cool um but yeah it was a lot of fun we ended up taking third in that race in our class and fifth overall so it was a good time
0: that's awesome uh is it kind of like what was the movie is it ford versus ferrari
2: yes exactly
0: it's like that it's
2: exactly like that not as Ford. not as like you know, as uh big as twenty four hour Le Mans, but right, right, that's right like the Olympics of racing probably, but uh yeah. It's like same that. con the
0: same concept. Man, I yeah. can't believe that they pulled that off on the interior of Charlotte Speedway.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So I that's have, gotta some, be, have some but, video. I'll send it to you after this. You can see what the onboard looks like.
0: Yeah, man. Send that. Well I'll put it in the show notes too people will <laughs> get a kick out of it. But I mean that I like for fourteen hours and if you you said two hour stints at a time. Yeah. Like roughly, if, it's yeah. in, if it's in that tight of a space, I mean, that's gotta be like a lot of turns, a lot it of is, like yeah. constant engagement. Like how do you stay that focused over the course of two hours?
2: Um, I think racing, I mean, I, for me, it's just like, I absolutely love it. You know, yeah. I like I think if my dream job, if you asked me, like, would you give up every other thing in your life to go race cars? I might probably sign the sign on the dotted <laughs> line for that. But, uh, yeah, it's pretty engaging because obviously the speeds and the consequences of making mistakes keeps you locked in. But yeah, you do have to. I mean, it is a mental challenge because it's easy to go out there and just drive the car around the track. That's not hard. What's mm-hmm. hard is going out there and driving the car around the track at your at eighty to eighty-five percent of your best lap time every lap for two hours. That's because you win and lose races after. Tens of seconds they add up over a duration of 14 hours so yeah. you've got to stay on it um and so that's that's something that you have to keep reminding yourself like hey don't don't back off the pace the way i always did it i'm just a big i like the data so i'd have the the pitch the pit crew chief guy like i'd talk to him on the radio a lot and be like hey what's my lap time okay cool i know if i fell off a little bit and what's the gap between me and the next guy that kind of helps me passing people always helps you stay engaged so
0: yeah, yeah yeah so they're just get they're able to give you just constant feedback yeah and if you want have, some
2: guys like to just drive and not hear a thing but i, oh, I really I, I like to talk so
0: yeah i would think so like i would i would constantly want that kind of like information understand like where yeah. am i against like my projected time or you know what i mean yeah um so does that kind of trickle over into like everything you do in terms of like, and I, now, now Alex is bleeding into my interview because he was, he was the mad scientist who <laughs> yes, dissects everything. Yeah, uh, Are you, are you similar in that way? Or do you take a little bit of a different approach? Um,
2: yeah, I guess, I mean, I guess I do. I think everything is, you know, what's the saying? The way you do anything is the way you do everything. So yeah, I love that. Um, I like to take that approach. I think that's kind of how it is. Like, I'm, if I'm going to do something, I want to do it as fast as I can, the best I can, and try to repeat the results as many times as possible. And so racing is like that is a racing is what it's all about. That's exactly what it is. Hmm. And so for me, like the challenge of staying so engaged to be able to go out there and do that over and over and over again and try to even best myself every time is like just that process you know uh, separated from the results of the race is just as rewarding so i don't know i could I, yeah i think that's that's pretty
0: cool yeah what so. does your wife think of all this she's like look the bobsledding okay fine she's yeah 14 like, hour the- endurance <laughs> races
2: like uh, come on it's just racing. uh, I don't know. It's,
0: she just,
2: she just knows it's like, (laughs) it's just, I'm going to do it. It's just like, she knows once I get my mind into something like it's just, she's like, he's going to do it. It's just turning her back. So, um, (laughs) it's expensive. So that's not, she does not, she's a finance person. So she doesn't always (laughs) like that aspect of it. But, uh, yeah, she knows despite like my need for speed, I, I always approach things like, um, like I take it seriously and I prepare. So it's not like mm-hmm. I'm out there trying to be kind of reckless. Like I'm gonna go and be ready and, and do my best and I don't wanna crash the car, you know, and I wanna come back out on the other side. So she knows that I'll I'll be ready and I'm I'll do the right things to get through the race effect like safely as well. So that's really the yeah. big thing, as long as I'm safe and she's not too concerned.
0: So, so how how many are in, endurance races similar to this one that you did in Charlotte? Are there happening like in the U.S.? Like is there a is there a whole circuit? Yeah, like this, professional- I'm actually
2: running another one here in August. It's a 24-hour. Wow, so we're gonna do. Really? Yeah, it's kind of exactly like Le Mans style. It's up in Virginia. Okay. Um, same car, same team. And we're gonna run the, the car for 24 hours. So right
0: on. How many? So how many? Um, is it, is it the same type of pacing where you would do like two hour stints or yeah. do you like change it up? Cause it's a longer race.
2: Yeah. It'll, it'll kind of depend how the race progresses. We'll probably start out at two hours and then depending how some drivers are feeling or how they're driving. And if like the nighttime is, is, is a tough time for some people to drive. Like some people just don't like it. Um, hmm. some drivers aren't a fan. Charlotte was easy. Cause it's a big stadium. So there's a lot of lights. So there's you almost don't even need headlights because it's just so much ambient lighting. So well
0: but, lit, yeah. But
2: in Virginia, it's <laughs> it is just pitch black out on the on the course in certain sections. So, oh, wow. I mean, you don't back off your pace. You're still going to go 140, 150 miles an hour in some sections, and you just don't, you can't slow down because you're racing. So, some guys doesn't just isn't as easy for them to cope with that aspect. So you, we could change the lineup and timing up a little bit based on that. But, yeah.
0: Oh, wow. w well, for you, I guess, cause it, like everything, it's individualized. Like what's the most challenging part of an endurance race like that? Is it mental fatigue? Is it physical fatigue? Is it,
2: I think, um, I think the biggest thing for people who are, are like competitive is realizing it's a 24 hour race. It's not, <laughs> it's not 50 minutes or it's not this many laps. So Being like, hey, I need to dial back my pace, or if someone gets close and you want to race them for a while, like you can make a mistake in that period and break the car, uh, and the whole team's counting on you. It's not just you either. So if you mess the car up, everyone loses, not just you. So it's kind of being mature and saying, hey... I need to maintain my pace, and if I can go with them and not make a mistake, great. If I can't, I gotta let people pass me. That may have just be going fast. That driver just might be faster on that stint, or who knows. So yeah. I think there's a maturity aspect, and so it's, that's tough because you want to race. And you're like, hey, I want to be first. Um, sometimes you gotta step back and realize it's a marathon, not a sprint. Is the you know the way I'd I, I phrase it. So
0: yeah. Well, it's funny. I mean, it's kind of similar to uh okay, now I'm talking about something I have no concept. But, you know, like similar to bobsled. Right? I mean, you're just again, uh, an individual within a team. Exactly. But yeah. it's it's a little bit atypical from the traditional team because you're also competing with everyone. So Yeah. Uh would you uh so, you know, long-term is the endurance racing something that like you could see yourself doing uh especially yeah. once bobsledding's over? Do you do you have aspirations for other forms of racing?
2: I I honestly if I, you know, it's, it's all going to come down to support and financing, but if I could take <laughs> racing, if I could take racing to a professional level, I absolutely would. And that that's my if, you know, if I was just kind of write down a dream sheet, like I'd like to get out of bobsledding and pursue racing pretty heavily. Obviously, you know, I don't know what that looks like yet, but I enjoy it a lot and I know that I could do it every day and it wouldn't get old at least right now, so yeah, um, yeah, we'll see.
0: So, what's the setup with? The, I guess what kind of car do you guys drive in this endurance race?
2: Um, we have a Nissan 350Z that we're driving. So, it's a little older. The cars in this series are a little older and a little a little bit more have more character, I guess is the best way to describe it. I'm not driving like the newest, hottest thing, but uh, yeah, you know, it the, like racing is very much like, a, especially auto racing is there's a, it's a money thing. Like you can compete in it in some cases and not necessarily be the most talented because you can afford to. Mm. Um, and some, some people get there based on talent. So there's a, there's a few paths into the pro level. I don't quite know exactly how it works cause I'm not there yet, but, um, I've talked to some guys who do do it at that level. And so that, it's just going to depend, you know,
0: we'll yeah. See. So for this car that you guys have now, is this something that you, you're like, you keep talking about the finances and under, I mean, I think everyone could probably imagine there's probably a lot of finance in terms of upkeep yeah, parts, yeah. travel. Is that, is that something that you do with the other three drivers or are you driving for a team that has some sort of like sponsorship and funding behind it? How, do, how does that piece of it work?
2: Yeah. Um, this is mostly self-funded. So I, the way it works with this team is I pay for my time in that seat. I don't own hmm. the car. I don't want to own the car. Um, it's just, I don't have the time to maintain it, but the guy it's who finance, owns it,
0: finance 101 on <laughs> yeah. appreciating assets. I know your wife's yeah. all
2: over it. <laughs> so I pay to drive and, uh, you know, ideally getting to a point where I don't pay and people want me to drive for them would be great. But for now yeah. that's, that's the way it works. And there's a couple guys on the team that own the team who own the car ah, and they're, okay. they're they're mechanics on, on Nissan. So it's really nice because they know everything about it inside and out. So, um, and then, yeah, and then they, they get they get the car and transport everything and I just purely show up. I'm I'm handy. I know how to work on cars, but I don't that's not my role. I'm I'm there mainly to drive and help out with other team things. So
1: Yeah.
0: Oh, right on. Man, that's so cool. I had I had no idea um that races like that actually took place within the yeah. States, let alone like there yeah. uh, there's full blown circuits.
2: Oh there's I mean there's a lot of like really good tracks in the US. It just it's just not it's not as popular, I guess, as as like NASCAR, NASCAR is pretty well known. Mm -hmm. The road racing world is much more like a European central thing, yeah, so. Yeah,
0: that's exactly what I think of. Yeah. Okay, stand corrected. I I learned something every show. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So cool, so you know, actually, I think something that would be interesting to dive into, we haven't talked about this in a little while, but um, for someone who's accomplished in, you know, multiple facets of their life, I guess, you know, fatherhood, how, how do you approach that? Right. Because you kind of have this like really strong military background. You're a leader of men. Uh, and then, uh, you know, you have, you have two daughters at home who probably don't respond to the same sort of like <laughs> feedback loop.
2: <laughs> yeah. That has been, that has been a challenge. Like raising kids in a lot of ways, you know, leadership, like if you're, if you're doing leadership, right. It's almost like raising kids. Cause hmm. You want to see them be successful, and you want them to do the right things, and, and and you care about them, and that and if if you're taking care of them, and you're trying to guide them towards those directions. Obviously, in the military, I have mechanisms that give me some authority to do certain things and keep people in line. Not yeah. as easy. It's, it's much more like <laughs> it's less less defined in the parenthood world. But um, yeah, you know,
0: I they can I, talk back.
2: It's it's honestly been a huge blessing because, like having little girls and them kind of teaching me a little bit more about patience and and understanding that there's a few different ways to kind of get your message across and it doesn't always have to be, you know, a forceful or aggressive way. I think has been. That's been a huge blessing, and so I, 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 you know, a lot of people ask me, like, "Did you want a boy?" And I'm like, "No, I, I am such a happy girl dad." You know, I maybe if we have a third kid, yeah, that would be great, but yeah, I, I wouldn't trade it for the world. Um, so that I've approached fatherhood in like one, I don't know what I'm doing, <laughs> and that's
0: a good place to start. My biggest thing <laughs> is just
2: like, you know, try to teach them the things that I didn't, you know, I didn't learn as a kid, or I wish I had known. I mean, they're so young still that just the basics right now is like let's go to the bathroom and not right. not mess up our clothes um, yeah exactly <laughs> that is a big win so <laughs> but other than that it's kind of like once they hit the five year old age you start to see that hey some of those like things start to take place like where mm. they some of the lessons start to sink in and you see the behaviors that you want to see in them or you don't and then that's when you can kind of respond like when they're so when they're down in the threes like yeah you could you could do anything, whatever they're going to want to do, they're going to do. So yeah, that's a tough age, but
0: you're just um, trying to corral them.
2: Yeah, but, you're
0: just trying to like keep them within a safe space.
2: <laughs> exactly, <laughs> safety is like probably pri- <laughs> first concern. Um, But yeah, my my daughter, my five year old daughter, she's the one thing I'd say that she I I always am amazed by her is just kind of how thoughtful she is, like. Like she just like wants to do things for people just because she wants to do them because she cares about them. And I was like, those are Mm -hmm. lessons that we kind of lose as adults. I'm like, oh, you know what? That was just a nice thing to do. And there's no, I don't expect anything from it. She never does. And so she gets the gratification of knowing that like she made somebody's moment or day. And so that's something I was like, oh, I should probably try to practice that a little bit more often.
0: Um, Yeah. Uh, I, I can relate to that. So, you know, our daughter is the oldest and then we've got two little boys. Uh, our middle one is just, uh, savage so we'll see We'll see <laughs> he turns out to be like he is just an animal in so many ways he kills me uh but yeah no same thing like when i had my daughter of course i, I got asked all the same questions it's like oh well don't you want a boy next And it's like you know what like having a girl is so awesome that yeah. if, if i had nothing but daughters like oh, i would just be i would just be as happy as could be so yeah, i can relate to you but yeah just so thoughtful like yeah. i'm try- i wish i could remember just some of the things she'll come downstairs. I'm usually the first one up and I'm, I'm either working out or I don't know, enjoying like a moment of solitude Yeah. and she'll just come down. Be like, you know, I got up early cause I was thinking about you and I had a dream. And I really just wanted to give you this. And it's like some makeshift present. Yeah of something that she destroyed and then put back together for me. And I'm just like, oh. yeah. I'm like, thank you. thank you. Exactly. My whole day is just made. So and you, you were kind of talking about this a little bit. Has, has that impacted the, uh, your leadership style uh, within the military?
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I think it definitely has. It's definitely, um, the, that just kind of teaching me to be hey like think about like what is maybe what does that person need today that's not necessarily mm. something i'm thinking of you know cuz like my day is having a different i'm on a different trajectory today than they might be and i don't really know what that is yeah. um and then you know the converse the opposite side of the sweetness is like there is a very stubborn <laughs> i don't want to say <laughs> demon side but man they can be stubborn and oh the patience aspect has taught me like that has taught me some patience because you just can't once they get like in that stubborn mode you can't break through there's no force forcing your way through that moment yeah. so um, kind of learning to be like hey they're in a tough spot I need to just be patient and help them through this I don't necessarily need to fight fire with fire here um, yeah. that has been a big fatherhood lesson I think that has bled over into other parts of my life
0: now if if you would have told me that after having kids, you resented all the guys who reported to you who did not have kids and complained about being tired. I would have completely understood that, too. When I, when I talk to someone at work, and they're like, yeah. oh, dude, I'm just, I'm so wiped. I was out late last night. We were partying, and, and I'm like, dude, I haven't slept <laughs> in days. And my wife hasn't yeah. slept in days, so no one's happy in this house right now. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. I, I'm I, like, I totally the things you that. could accomplish. Yeah. lazy oh, sob i just want to
2: go back to my 21 <laughs> year old self and be like look at what your life's going to be like in about 10 years yeah and be like oh man you have so much free time go do you something so else like go god I, I could have wrote like three books if i was like focused on that stuff not to say i would have but i could go, have
0: yeah go <laughs> start know. amazon like do something you have so much yeah. time you yeah. could you could be a borderline superhero at this point yeah Oh, I think about that. I think about that all the time. Yeah, I don't know what I was doing, and now I'm trying to cram it all in and, and, yeah. and accomplish things with three kids. So, yeah. go figure. That's life. Um, well, Chris, <laughs> yeah, that is like that is like. Oh, man. Well, Chris, man, this is uh, this has been awesome. I just I'm so blown away. I I did not even take into consideration the fact that you had like the car racing on top of all of this. So, how you're getting any of that done? I have no clue. Um. But hey, for, for people who want to follow along, what where is the best place for uh, for them to find you?
2: Uh, I am The only place I'm really active social media wise is Instagram. So okay. I think my handle is like Walsh.USA. If you search Chris Walsh, you'll see a picture of like me bobsledding. So, right on. But uh, yeah, that's really, I post on there. I'm not super, like I don't post every day, but my story, I guess I keep up to date. I don't know not a huge priority for me, but
0: it's because you're actually getting stuff done. (laughs) Yeah.
2: So, but I I keep it relatively up to date. So, um, yeah.
0: No, right on, man. Oh, and actually I meant to ask you this. You said you're recovering from an injury.
2: Oh yeah. Uh, so last season, um, one of the downsides, this is kind of ties back to special operations. One of the downsides is they make you, um, I don't want to say I'm the toughest dude in the world because I'm not, but they teach you to, to kind of push through pain. So right. all last year I was dealing with like what I thought was tendonitis. I ended up deciding like it, to the point where I like couldn't like stand up on a, do one legged step ups on my right leg. And I was uh-huh. like, I've, I've got to go see what's up because this is clearly, I can't fix this with Advil and stretching. So right. um, I went and got an MRI done and I had some, I had like a small tear in my quad tendon uh at the base right above the top of my knee so I was like doing a lot of my pushing that year with a knee like that um so unfortunate but hey I'm glad I found it out and you know I have some time to get healthy COVID has been kind of a silver lining there is that it's delaying things so it gave me some time to kind of get my my body back in our good place so yeah
0: and how how are you feeling
2: I'm good I, I actually kind of just did a decently heavy set of cleans for triples the last yesterday you know and um no pain so that's what I'm all about right now is like doing exercises I did before pain-free so I can I got two more years to survive not survive but you know excel and continue to push myself to another level and I can't do it if I'm in pain because it's just very hampering so
0: you know, what's funny because I'm uh, 33 and I think about this all the time. You know, I've got I've got a bunch of like f- strength and condition goals that I'm I'm working. on. I'm going to try and break a world record here next Friday. Uh, awesome. Actually, I, when this comes out, actually, it might already be done. And I just took okay. my hand as to how long it takes me to get these edited <laughs> to the listeners. Um, But no, I it's kind of to your point, right? I think all the time it's like I just I just need to like live to fight another day. Yeah. You know, like, even if that means I got to dial it back a little bit or I got to take an extra rest day, it's like, that's so much better than getting injured and being set back months. Yeah. You know? Uh, Yeah. So, I'm with you there. Yeah, I think that's just a, you know, it's one of
2: those things where you don't want to admit that you're getting older, but one of the plus sides of age is you get a little bit wiser. You do things little a little whizzer. smarter and I'm <laughs> like, I don't need to train and crush myself to still get the benefits that I need like every right. single day. Right. Like you can do it a lot smarter. And that's something I honestly had to learn the hard way this time. But, um, now I'm like, okay, I got to take like my health being at a hundred percent versus trying to operate at 70% and push to a hundred percent. There's just not, that doesn't work. That equation never pans out. So, yeah, better to be healthy and dial training back a little bit than to turn training up so high that you can't keep your body operating at its optimal. Yeah. So,
0: yeah. Yeah. You just gotta you gotta be able to dial it back. One of one of the first episode we we did was about uh, I'm trying to remember now who it was even on, but it was like the revelation of a deload. Yeah. And I had plenty plenty of tales to tell about being an <laughs> idiot and just like constantly trying to blow it out. Every yeah. time you go
2: if, if you asked Alex about how it went with me for the first, I don't know, six to seven months, he was probably like, "Yeah, he didn't know what a deload week was." Because <laughs> I was like, like, "Oh, I feel really good. I'm going to go in and max out on cleans a day." And right, I was like, right. "No, dude, just calm down." And I'm like, "No, I'm good. I'll be fine." Uh, <laughs> I, <don't know> if, <laughs> I wish I had listened, but you know, that's one of. Yeah, I got a little older. I got a
0: little wiser. Wisdom. 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 Awesome. Oh, and really quick before we go, I know I said we were going, but now I got a bunch of questions again. But uh, but how, how, uh, did your quad require like surgery or was it just Uh, breath? No. So we did, um,
2: PRP to, to just aid in the healing and took a more time off than I was comfortable with. I, you know, it was like one of the hardest things I think was just, Hey, you need to just do nothing for your legs for an amount of time that's going to feel very uncomfortable. And it was, but, you know, I had to like, that was the maturity aspect. I was like, I got to be mature here and I've got to get yeah. healthy. Um, luckily I could still do upper body stuff and stay active. So it wasn't completely at a loss. And then I got a lot of time to work on my sim racing. So I guess, you know, <laughs> silver <laughs> <like line>. complimenting it's <laughs> out there somehow, but, <laughs> but yeah, PRP, no surgery needed. Um, surgery would have been probably, yeah, that would have put me out for the year because it was a pretty, they said that they did surgery on that specific injury it was like eight months to recover at minimum so that would have been been rough so luckily they're like hey if prp works and you take it off and you take your time that was a motivator too is like take your time let everything heal you can avoid a surgical um, intervention here and then Mm. bounce back a little faster so
0: and and for for people who don't know and i'm gonna count myself in that category what, what is prp yeah, i'm gonna google it while we sit here so i don't <laughs> i don't uh
2: not say anything
0: that's know. okay this this <laughs> whole podcast is mostly filled with hearsay and half truths. Yeah. So, so it's
2: uh platelet rich plasma i just couldn't remember what oh,
1: so what they yeah. do is they,
2: they draw your blood they put it in a centrifuge separate oh, the platelets cool. and then they i'll tell you it was more painful than the injury like because they shove really? all that fluid into that space um, to kind of – it's the idea concept is like, hey, get the human body to do what it does, have a, a big reaction to healing that area. So by forcing fluid into it, it kind of makes it feel like, oh, we got an injury here. Let's go fix it. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, just the amount of pressure and stuff that's in the joint is oh, very, man. very uncomfortable. That's not even the worst place. Like the knees probably for me, I probably have the least of it. I know guys who've got it like in their uh, – like groins and in their hips and like they had to put oh, these amazing. huge needles in and they're just like so oh. i consider myself lucky and in, in the big scheme of things
0: <laughs> and how long did you actually have to get like the uh the prp treatments for
2: i only did one we were going to do a second oh, okay. one if if i needed to but luckily it seemed to have tape it, it seemed to work pretty well um oh, wow. i'm still doing physical therapy on top of training but that's just more to keep me from getting into recessing too much but hmm. yeah it's been uh I did. I was very skeptical. I was like, ah, this might work, but I give it, like, I don't know, 40% chance at best. Um, yeah. but luckily, you know, I, I had some good people I was working with, so that helped a lot. And it worked. Yeah. So far, I mean, yeah. I'm just going to keep working on getting healthy and continuing <laughs> to build slowly. I'm not going to go out and try to run my best 40 meter next week or something right, like that. Right, but, right, right. Um, yeah, so... <laughs>
0: Oh, awesome. Well, Chris, man, this is, this has been great. I I appreciate you joining. I know people are going to take a a lot away from this one. I I appreciate you having me on. It's just
2: awesome to talk about it. And this is pretty, pretty great forum. So
0: yeah, man. Hey, and uh, let me, for people who actually want to be able to watch you guys compete, I know that this upcoming season's kind of in jeopardy, but as you start gearing up for the Olympics, um, yeah. like what are like the, the notable events that, that maybe people can try and tune in and watch?
2: Yeah. So, um, if you go on YouTube and search, um, IBSF or international bobsled okay. skeleton federation, they, they do like live broadcasts on there. I think there's a guy named Martin Haven who does the announcing. who also does formula one i want to say so
0: oh, right on.
2: like pretty pretty good they have a pretty good production quality um so definitely worth watching they they do all the world cup races oh, cool. um, and then in person stuff that's going to happen in the u.s uh pretty cool this year we're having world championships um here in lake placid in in february so oh, awesome. um, that's kind of like a mini olympic games they do at the end of every bobsled season uh so it's nice to have it back in the US and that'll be the last one before the Olympics so we're kind of fortunate that it it rolled through Lake placid right before the the Olympic season so
0: Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's awesome. All right, cool. Well, I'll I'll link to all of that. Yeah, thanks for having me. Mommy. You better go ask Mommy Daddy. <laughs> okay. And we are back. So we've done some assessment on our previous episodes and Mm. unbeknownst to us, it turns out that we've been starting this section (laughs) the exact same way every time for like the last five episodes. And
1: this is our third take today because even (laughs) going into it, knowing that we do that, I did it again.
0: (laughs) I say, wow, what a great episode. And you say, that was great. (laughs) (laughs) And then people in the car are like, God damn it. Uh, But man, what a cool story. Like I knew, you know, the piece about being in the air force and special operations, you know, I was aware of everything he was doing from a bobsled perspective, but as that conversation went on, like as amazing as both of those things are, I became so interested in the endurance, like rally car racing.
1: Yeah. It's crazy.
0: Well, and as I went and looked back you know, I didn't realize either like the, uh, you know, the type of like, uh, what, what, do you, what do you call it? The super sport bikes or
1: mm-hmm.
0: like I've looked up what that is. That's like the hardcore like bike racing where like they get below 45 degrees on a turn. They're like
1: vertical to the ground. Yeah. Like, yeah. Or Sorry. Horizontal, yeah. horizontal to the ground. It's yeah. crazy.
0: I know. So, man, when he said he had a need for speed. Now, looking back, I, I think I appreciate it a little bit more. Yeah. Um, and I got to be honest. That little simulator that he was sitting, I shouldn't call it little, the, the, I, I what's I, I racing, the I racing simulator that he was sitting in looked sick.
1: I didn't see it.
0: Like it's so good to his point that when he actually got in a real car for this m- most recent endurance race that he did, like, I think he said he had the fastest lap on his team and maybe the second lap, fastest lap that day on the track.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I, we got to get one. They're probably pretty expensive.
1: (laughs) What do you need that for, Kenny? (laughs) I just have
0: so much downtime. I'm looking for ways to fill it.
1: Yeah, you really do. (laughs) You're always just twiddling your thumbs. Oh, God, I wish. Mm -hmm. I wish.
0: Uh, But that one was really entertaining, but there was also, I felt, some really good takeaways that jumped out at me.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: I'm going to tell you my first one right now. Okay. And this is one that I... I actually from time to time have, have told to people and it's something that, uh, just completely coincidentally, I reflect on a lot and it's this, this saying, you know, how you do anything is how you do everything. Yeah. And I think just in the conversation that I had with him, what I know about his background, there's uh, you know, dare I say, like uh a striving for excellence, it appears. That was literally
1: what, the words that were going through really? my brain. Striving for excellence. Oh yeah.
0: wow. <laughs> Look at us just on the same wavelength. <laughs> you must have ESPN. <laughs> so I I you know, I thought that was great. And that's something that uh I actually think is really important like to communicate to our kids. Yeah. You know, like you can't just half ass it in some aspects of your life and expect to show up and give a hundred percent elsewhere. It it really kind of is true. Like the attention to detail, um, you know, uh, the energy, the mindset that you bring to any activity. Like I really do believe like it it kind of uh, shows up everywhere, you know? Yeah. I'm stumbling through this, but
1: you get my point. I get what you're saying.
0: Yeah. So I thought that was awesome. What you're putting down. Yeah. Um <laughs> boy, the we are off to a rough start. No, so how you do anything is how you do everything. I think that's a really good takeaway for folks, you know. Uh and when things do get out of whack in life, I feel like is when you're not putting in the same effort anywhere. If mm-hmm. you're putting up putting in too much effort at work, it starts to show up at home.
1: Yeah, family life suffers.
0: Family life suffers. Pens too much time so. with the family.
1: Too much time with the family. <laughs>
0: <laughs> work starts to suffer. Yeah. Ah, <sighs> we need a vacation. So that was my first one.
1: Can the kids come?
0: <laughs> well, I don't know. Probably have to. Uh, how about you? I know you had a good takeaway.
1: Yeah, I was. It, it was cool to hear that a lot of the people on the Bob said team mm-hmm. are in their late 20s or early 30s or yeah. mid 30s. Yeah. He said a lot of people don't find it till later in life because, I mean, you don't think that, there's it's, no bobsledding in high school. There's no like, where right. do you even bobsled if not for the United States? You know,
0: it's so niche yeah. too. Super and niche. I, I would even say like, me, I didn't even understand what the right type of athlete yeah. was for bobsled.
1: Turns out it's you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Chris is gonna listen <gasps> to this and be like, "What the Seriously hell?" Seriously
1: though, <laughs> all the things that you have to be good at are things that you really. St- Strive that. Well, Strive. yeah. What's that word? That's true. You know what I'm saying?
0: Um, Or at least it, it appears that way. But yeah, God, it it just looks so awesome. I'd be lying if I said, in talking to Alex and then talking to him, uh, yeah, my wheels were, were turning a little bit.
1: I bet they were.
0: But um how cool though. So what was really incredible to me is, let me think about this. He said he got into it in 2018. Right? The mm-hmm. last summer Olympics that yeah, year. Yeah, but like...
1: So he was almost The 30. year of it, that Olympics. The like year of when that he Olympics. he even started. It's yeah. crazy. Like, so it was only like less than a year of learning yeah, he, how to Yeah, he box wasn't leg. in the
0: 2018 Olympics, but that's the year he started.
1: Oh, oh, okay. Sorry, I thought he was.
0: No, but what's so cool to me is, one, it was like, you know, later in life. Like, mm-hmm. I, he's not old by any stretch of the imagination. Um, and he was certainly in shape from special operations, but... Mm-hmm what the the type of endurance that those guys are expected to have the type of fitness level, like it's not something that directly translates to being like really excellent in this sport, which I think is probably a testament to what kind of an athlete this guy is Mm -hmm. to be able to do both for as long as he did. Yeah. And now how cool is this world-class athlete program? Very cool. I love that we have that. Yeah. Right. Because there's so many talented people Uh, in the military and the fact that it's like, look, they recognize that some of these folks have an opportunity to go and do something else great for their country. In addition to their Mm -hmm. service, it's just so cool to me that they allow them to take time off from their like dedicated military service, train to do something really incredible at an international level, go represent your country and then you can come right back. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And kind of, uh, repay that, that commitment.
1: Yeah, it's awesome.
0: So cool. So, so cool. Uh, okay, so that was, yeah, I, I thought that was really interesting too. And like you said, a lot, of, it's like, what was it? The second or third thing that a lot of these guys do. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought the story about the guy who was a really high level CrossFit athlete.
1: Yeah, really cool.
0: It was interesting. Um, man, just such a cool sport. Okay, and then I had, <laughs> I had two others. I'm going to maybe kind of combine them. Um, <laughs> okay. But for someone like him right, professionally operating at such a high level, the sport that he's taking place in demands so much of your time and energy. And then he has a wife, he has a family, right? So he has all these commitments. When I asked, like, how are you getting all these things done? What I thought was really cool was his answer of, like, <laughs> just, there's no time for frivolous activities. Mm-hmm. Like, you have to be really kind of regimented and make sure that, like, whatever you're doing with your time is the best and highest use of your time. Mm-hmm. I think that's a good little like glimpse into how these people who seem to do everything like, you know, sometimes you hear about some of the accomplishments of these folks. And you're like, how was there ever enough time in the day for you to get all that done?
1: Mm-hmm. I
0: think this is the way a lot of these people get it done.
1: Yeah, I'm sure.
0: Not a whole lot of Real Housewives being fat. watched
1: yeah. <laughs> in
0: the Walsh household. I'm Is that a dig? Uh, <laughs> it could be. Should it be? I don't know. You tell me. It's up for interpretation.
1: I don't know, Kenny.
0: <laughs> uh, you do enjoy Real Housewives. Which which one are you watching though? Because there's a couple.
1: Just Beverly Hills in New York. Oh, okay. Only the good ones.
0: Yeah, right. We don't want to. I don't want to waste those, my time. Those with... tier two yeah. housewives. Jersey and. Jersey. Okay. What are the other ones? Isn't there like Atlanta? Uh, Atlanta. I don't Is there? Know. A, oh, Atlanta's the South. I was gonna say. I could see like in Texas. I feel like there was a, a Texas one at one point. Another housewives.
1: Yeah. There was one about Texans at one point, but mm. they... I don't know if they lasted.
0: I must have missed that season.
1: You don't get drama like you do in Beverly Hills in New York.
0: <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. They also just no time for frivolous activities. <laughs> 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 okay. Uh, and the last one, I'm going I'm to throw in a bonus one. He said, can't be afraid to fail. I don't think he said it in those words, but like for him... That's Mm -hmm. kind of, it seems like his mindset. Yeah. You know, his goal is to make those 2022 Olympics. uh, And there's the possibility that maybe he won't, right? But like he wasn't going to let the fear of that potential failure like stop him from trying. Yeah. Which I thought is so cool because like so often.
1: That's a hard thing to do.
0: It really is. Yeah. It's so much easier said than done because as soon as you start thinking about what's possible or some goal that you're excited about, I'd imagine for most people listening, myself certainly included, like all of a sudden doubt starts creeping in, reasons why you shouldn't, reasons why it might be difficult. I don't know. You know, maybe Mm -hmm. it's not even worth getting started. I think if folks can even just take that little tidbit away and approach that to the next time that they kind of get that like urge, like, oh man, I'm really interested in maybe pursuing that.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: You know, just be conscious of the fact that that fear of failure will creep in. And just like, don't let it.
1: Yeah. I think that's a good thing to instill into our kids too. Yeah. That it's okay to fail. Yeah. Cause it usually helps you get better. And I remember
0: I didn't understand that when I was younger. Uh, no, like my, I would say my biggest, like I, if someone asked me what my greatest fear was, I would have said my biggest fear is failure.
1: Yeah, <laughs> That's not shocking at all.
0: Well, yeah, but it's true. <laughs> Yeah. But because of that, like I would work really hard so that it wouldn't happen. But there was probably also some things that maybe I didn't attempt mm-hmm. because I didn't like see a quick path to me being like what I would perceive as like as good as I wanted to be.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So I don't know. I, I feel like I've gotten I've gotten over that for sure. I think so too. But it's hard.
1: Yeah, it's definitely hard.
0: It's hard. What is going on with the housewives right now? Now now you gotta be thinking. <laughs> I know there's some serious drama
1: oh Brandy
0: yeah. And, uh, Denise. yeah
1: there yeah there's some um there's some rumors circulating about extra marital activity oh boy between Denise Richards and oh boy Brandy Glenville very dramatic I believe the rumors oh
0: wow okay <laughs> interesting
1: yeah that's what the last five episodes have been about just hints at the rumors for a couple episodes. Mm. And now just like them talking about the rumors openly for a few episodes.
0: I'm kind of now wondering, like, what are we doing here on this podcast? Why aren't we like watching that?
1: <laughs> I'll go downstairs and watch after. <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay. Yeah. You can just fill me in. <sighs> but anyways, what an amazing, uh, amazing conversation. And I, 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 I went back and watched some of like his rally car racing video.
1: Uh-huh. It
0: looks so awesome.
1: Yeah, I looked at his Instagram and he had a bunch of the pictures of him on the bikes. Yeah, they're wild. Like he's literally (laughs) like cool. His knee is not even a centimeter from the ground. Yeah, it's so scary. If I were his wife, I would not be cool with that.
0: You know what, though, I gotta imagine it's the sort of thing where it's like
1: you're not gonna stop him. You're not
0: gonna stop him, and you're just gonna create more problems by trying to.
1: Yeah, I feel better about kind of like you
0: and your housewives. (laughs) I just know at this point. (laughs) just let her have it.
1: Yeah. I'm going to sneak it anyway. If you tell me I can't. (laughs) God. Just kidding. Damn it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, so that was a great show. Uh, and I'm going to say, I think I said this in the intro, but, uh, again, to all those listening, you know, who serve our country, thank you. We greatly appreciate it. Uh, Mm -hmm. we do not say that enough. And interestingly, the last two guests, both, uh, members of the military, mm-hmm. which has been really, really awesome. Yeah. So again, thank you everyone. Thank you for listening. And, uh, we will talk to you next week. See ya. Have a good one. Bye.